Um, if you go on the app, you can click on the drop-down box in the Grace Bible uh, Church app and, or even on the push, uh, push pay, and then there's Azadi Project. If you want to give directly to that, you can give directly to that there. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Bible. Thank you for coming. Uh, thank you for those online that are joining. Um, we're in a series that focuses on Jesus in Galilee. Last week, we talked about Jesus in Galilee and how Jesus prepares the table before us, and that every time that we, uh, we meet with him in the morning, it's not just that we're, we're meeting and going through our Bible and praying, but Jesus is prepared to give us everything that we need. He's a, he, love prepares, and so we went through that. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. The healing that you need, the answers and the wisdom that you need, the provision that you need are all provided at a table that he sets before us every day. And when we choose to meet him in the morning, in our quiet time, getting into the word, being open to his spirit in prayer, he begins to fill all of those needs, provides those answers, directs us in the way that he wants us to go, heals the wounds that we're experiencing so that we can go and do the will of uh, he who calls us to it. So last week we talked about how God prepares a table before us. Today, I want to talk about Jesus in Galilee above the storm. Can everyone say above the storm? Above the storm. Um, the whole idea behind this message and what we saw when we were there in, in Israel, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't say that, that this series comes from a trip that we took in Israel and just some insights that uh, God dropped on us as we were there, that Jesus is above the storm. Um, one of the things that was, was uh, an insight, when I used to read the Bible before, I used to think that Jesus did everything in, you know, one location, like Jerusalem or something. But when you follow the footsteps of Jesus, Jerusalem is kind of like New York. It's like the big city. It's where a lot of the population was. And you would think that if he wanted to start a ministry, he would go to Jerusalem. But for the majority of his ministry, Jesus wasn't in Jerusalem. He wasn't in the New York of the day. He went to Galilee. It was uh, composed of a lot of little towns surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And he went there to meet with the outer island people. You know, and, and Jesus, the character of Christ is that he doesn't use big things or use big places to do big things. He goes to the obscure places to start his big work. He was born in a manger, right? He wasn't born in a five-star hotel. He, he grew up in Nazareth, which um, Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's like, can anything good come out of Maui? Can anything good come out of Happy Valley? But God takes the obscure places, and he does great things with them. He took David, a shepherd, and turned him into the greatest king. So no matter how we feel, God wants to do great things in our lives. We were with um, Aryeh when we were in Israel, and he is a uh, uh, previous commander of an army. He led battles in the, uh, the battle of Syria, with Syria, in the Syrian war. Um, he was a symphony conductor, just amazing guy. He said that um, he would memorize all his credit card numbers and all of his uh, birth date information and social security stuff by the 
tone of the numbers in the card. So he would listen to the tone in his head and he could memorize all of these numbers because he was a musician. And then he was a, a carpenter for 25 years, owned a vineyard, all of these different things. And, you know, on the way to uh, the last time that we were there 10 years ago, we stayed in this log cabin that he built uh, or helped to build. And as we were going to the uh, Yad Hashmona, the, the place that we were going to stay, uh, we asked him how he enjoyed COVID. And he said, I love COVID. 10 hours a day, two hours I spend with Jesus, two hours I work out, two hours I spend with my family. And he gave us his whole schedule of what he did during COVID. And, and when we went on the tours, he was like, he would say, I have, you know, this tour and that tour, but I'm also a botanist. I do tours just talking about all the names and the functions of the plants and how it relates to our spiritual life. And I was thinking, man, is there anything in the world that this guy does not know? And then toward the end of the trip, I'm all tired and I'm thinking, this thought came into my mind that one day I'm going to stand before judgment next to this guy. And God's going to ask me what I did with my life and I'm going to be standing next to him and he's going to be sharing and I'm going to be like, I don't know, <laughs> not as much as him. And I started getting all depressed. But then I started thinking that no matter how we view ourselves, we might feel like we don't have a lot to give or God's not going to do anything great through our lives, but he always does great things through the most unassuming places and the most unassuming people. So turn to the person next to you, tell, tell the person next to you, God's going to do great things in your life. God's going to do great things in your life. And, and mean it. When you tell the person, to mean it, because God does. Um, so today what I want to talk about, miracles that show the character of God, miracles that show the character of God, that God is over time, everyone say time, space, everyone say space. And matter, everyone say matter. So it was real interesting because we went to the place that uh, Jesus, Cana, where Jesus turned the water into wine, his first miracle. And in the first miracle that Jesus did, you know, a lot of people say different things. One, one, one thing is like, Jesus loves beer. That's why he turned water into wine. How many of you think Jesus loves beer? Yeah, some of you guys think so. You don't want to raise your hand in church. Um, what Ari told us was he turned water into wine because he wanted to show that he had power over time because it takes time to ferment wine for wine to become good. And he had power over time. And when he said that, and then he said the second miracle that Jesus did was that he healed a boy that was miles and miles away. In fact, let's, let's go through those two um, and so when, when he told us about these two miracles, the first two miracles that Jesus did, one, that he had power over time, and the second, that he could speak a word and somebody was healed miles and miles away, he also had power over distance. And when I, when I put those things together, I thought of Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. So in the first scripture, God shows the order that he created everything. And when Jesus comes as God on earth, he shows his dominance. His first miracle shows his dominance over time. His second miracle shows his dominance over space. Isn't that interesting? That we serve a God that is above. He's the creator that has power over the creation. So 
Uh, let's, let's read this together. Point number one, Jesus is above time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, I have a video, but I'm not going to show it. The video talks about uh, a study at Harvard in 2014 that proves that there was an inception period in time. Well, it wasn't time. But where time, space, and matter uh, was formed, that it had a beginning and it expanded throughout the universe. It's called the inflation of the universe. And, and the significance of that is that time, space, and matter had a beginning. And if time, space, and matter had a beginning, that means that time, space, and matter did not create time, space, and matter. And so if time, space, and matter didn't create time, space, and matter, that means that something outside of time, space, and matter had to create it. And so I'm a chemistry major. I grew up you know, teaching chemistry, uh, advanced placement chemistry in high school. And one of the things that just irritated me was that you'd have people in science that say, God cannot be proven. You, you can't do an experiment and prove God. But that's because all science is based on the laws of physics, chemistry, and is bound by time, space, and matter, whereas God exists outside because he created it, according to Genesis 1. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, the first miracle, John 2, 7. Can we read this scripture together at the count of three? Can we? You guys got to wake up. Are you guys awake? Okay. Um, let's read the scripture together at the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Where the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast called to the bridegroom. And this was the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifest his glory and his disciples believed in him. So the first miracle was his dominance over time because fermentation takes time. Number two, Jesus is above distance. In the beginning, God created the heavens, space, and the earth. Um, let's read this scripture together. This describes the second miracle that Jesus did um, in, at the Sea of Galilee. Um, and this was a nobleman whose child was dying, and so he came and asked Jesus to come on a, a trip back to his house, and this is the story. Let's read this together. One, two, three. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Galilee, uh, Judah into Galilee. So Jesus, when he comes on earth, he comes on the scene. John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and that the world was created through him. So as the creator, he comes in and says, I have power over time, I have power over distance, space, and he also showed that he had power over matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And let's read this story together. This is the multiplying of the bread. How many of you know the story of the multiplication of the bread, 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000? 
Um, let's read this together. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. A, a good point in there is that when we're grateful, it creates an atmosphere of multiplication. When we look at the things that we have, and even though it's not enough to meet our need, when we are thankful to God for the little that we have, it provides an environment for the miraculous where God can begin to multiply the thing that we're grateful for. On the opposite, if we complain about the things that we don't have, it provides an atmosphere where even the things that we have can be taken away. And so if there's lack in our lives, one of the things that we can do, practical things, is to give thanks to God for what we have, and it provides an atmosphere of multiplication. Let's read, uh, continue to read. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm over time, I'm over space, I also have power over matter. I can break bread, I can multiply it. And then he goes into the miracle that I call the mother of all miracles because he combines his dominance over space, time, and matter in one miracle. And let's, let's read that. That's the first scripture that we talked about today. Or, or that's listed in your notes today. Um, let's read that scripture at the count of three. One, two, three. Then the sea arose because of a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately, everyone say immediately. Immediately, the boat was at the land where they were going. They were three miles, three to four miles out in the middle of the sea. And as soon as Jesus stepped foot in the boat, it says immediately they were on, on shore. So he teleported them. He walked on water saying, I have power over matter. And then he steps into the boat immediately from four miles into the sea is on shore and says, I have power over space and time. Isn't that cool? Yeah, you guys don't think that's cool. That, it's, that's cool stuff. So, so I was thinking and diving into scripture a little bit more because we're actually at the spot. So can we show a satellite image of the Sea of Galilee? This is the Sea of Galilee. It is eight miles across. So four miles would be where? Half, right in the middle, right? So four miles would be right in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, what heats up faster, the land or the ocean? The land. The, the land has a lower heat capacity. Water has a higher heat capacity. It takes more energy to, to warm up water. So on a very, very hot day, what happens to the land? It gets super hot. The water starts heating up slowly, and then the water starts heating up more. Finally, at nighttime, which is exactly what the scripture says, at nighttime, what happens? 
the sun goes down, and then the land begins to cool. So the land cools, it cools much faster than the water. So if the water is hot and the land is cool, where does all the hot air go? Hot air rises, right? So hot air rises, it creates a vacuum, and what happens to all the air from the land? It rushes into the water, right? When does this happen? At the evening, exactly what the scripture says. Where do you think the greatest tumultuous water would be? In the very middle, four miles into the Sea of Galilee. Now, we don't experience anything like this in Hawaii because we have trade winds and Kona winds that blow in one direction. But can you imagine if the water, if the air is rising, creating a low pressure system right above this lake, and all of the wind is, is rushing down into that, filling up the vacuum, you have wind swell that's all moving into the middle of this lake. Now, if you've ever driven a boat, we just went to Lake Michigan, or Lake Cadillac, and Sharina has a boat. And whenever there would be, like, the only ways that, would, that we would see is when another boat would pass in front of us. The best course of action when you see a boat's wake coming at you is you direct your boat straight over the wake, right? You don't go sideways, because sideways it's going to flip the boat over, right? So you always direct your boat toward the swell. Now, if you're in the middle of the lake and wind is coming from all directions and you have wind swell from all directions going right into the middle of that, what way do you point your boat? What direction do you point your boat? Into the swell, but the swell is coming from every direction, right? This was not a good situation for the disciples. They were in the middle of the lake, wind from all directions, swell from all directions, and they couldn't do anything or go anywhere to get out of it. How would the Bible know that? How would the Bible know about low pressure systems and about wind swell and about the middle of the lake? But it's all right there in John. Are you guys getting excited? It's like, this is cool? You don't care. Um, <laughs> Some things, practical things that I got out of this. It's so much easier to focus on the storm than on Jesus. Can you go to the other slide? This, this is the cliff where Jesus, where after he fed the 5,000, it said that he went up to this cliff and sent his disciples over. How many of you think that Jesus saw his disciples in the middle of that sea? And like how I talked about last week, you can hear everything that happens on that sea because of the acoustics of the lake. Every single jet ski that was driving around, you could hear the voices of the kids screaming in laughter on that sea. And Jesus at nighttime could definitely hear the cries of his disciples in the middle of the sea as the wind and the waves were crashing on the boat. The perspective of Jesus is that he sees and he hears. But the disciples' perspective, when they were on the sea, was that they had no idea where Jesus was. All they could see was the wind and the waves. It's easier to focus on the storm because it's, 
It's, it's there right in front of you. And the waves were coming from all directions. So if the waves are coming from all directions, there was no right direction for them to go. How many of you have ever felt that in your life? That there are no options. I'm trapped. I don't know where to go. If I go this way, it's bad. If I go this way, it's bad. If I do this with my money, it's bad. If I do this with this relationship, it's bad. Every decision, every option doesn't seem good. And that's where the disciples were. In a situation like that, their eyes weren't focused on Jesus. Their eyes were, how do we get out of here? The other thing was, it's the furthest point from land. If you look at that satellite image or even that image there, they were four miles offshore in the middle of that lake. The place of safety, they couldn't be farther from the place of safety. So not only was there no right direction, they were in the wrong position. They couldn't have been in a worse position than in the middle of the lake. And you know what? Every wave and every gust of wind were pushing them straight into the worst place. How many have ever felt like that? They, had, they could get their paddles and they could row. They could put their sails up and try to get out of it. But everything was pushing them into the worst possible position that was available. And sometimes in our lives, that's exactly how we feel. That there's no, no amount of strength that we can muster, no amount of anything that we can do to maneuver ourselves outside of a position is completely out of our control. There's nothing that they could do. And sometimes in life, there's nothing that we can do from the wind and the waves that come against our lives. All effort was wasted. The wind and the waves are greater than their strength. But Jesus. Everyone say, but Jesus. The answer wasn't in their strength, rowing themselves out of that situation. The answer was not in the direction, having wisdom of the next step to take. Their solution to their problem was not position, it wasn't direction, it was a person. And the person was Jesus Christ. It said when Jesus Christ stepped into the boat, immediately, everyone say immediately, immediately they found themselves on land where they intended to go. Their answer was Jesus, who is above time, space, and matter. And the same answer that was for the disciples back then is the same answer for us today. We can be in different situations that seem hopeless, that seem confusing, that seem like we don't know where we're going or why these things are happening. It's to drive us closer to our Savior. It's to drive us closer to Jesus. Amen? One last point. Is this good stuff? Yes. Jesus is above all. He says, and this is so interesting. Why, this is a question you have to ask. Why does God do miracles? Why, why does Jesus do miracles? Why did he turn water into wine? Was it because he liked beer? Why, why did he make bread? So this is really interesting. The, the guy that drank the wine said, man, this is the best wine I've ever tasted. How do you think the bread tastes? 
that Jesus made. Better than Komodo Bakery, I'll bet, that it was like the most delicious bread, I'll prove it to you. So after Jesus jumped in the boat, if you look on John, uh, in John 6, after Jesus jumped in the boat and it, they found, it says, they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. It says, on the following day, there was people who were standing on the other side of the sea that saw there was no boat there except that the one that the disciples had entered, but Jesus had not entered. And they, so they're all trying to follow Jesus. And they said, Rabbi, where did you come Where'd you come from? Why are you here? And Jesus looked at them. He didn't even tell them anything. He didn't say, like, how he got there or anything. But this is what he said. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves. It was good bread. And were filled. And then he says, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has sent set his seal on him. So he's looking at the people and he's like, I made the best bread you ever tasted in your life. That's why you're here. You just want more bread. Right? That, 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 that can be assumed, right? He's like, you just want more bread. And, and, so this, and then they say, they say, what shall we do that we may enter the works of God? Because he talks about the works of God. And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. So Jesus is saying, I did all of this so that you would believe in me. I made you that awesome bread that's better than Komodo Bakery because I want you to believe that I can give you something that will never cease, that will never pass away. And then they, they, they answer and they say, what sign will you perform then? that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? And then, you know, they're crafty. They're kind of tricky here. And they say, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying, you want us to believe in you? Make us more bread. You guys don't find this funny? They're like coming and he says, I know why you're here, you want bread. And, and he says, don't seek the bread. Seek, I'm the bread of life. Seek me. And he, they say, why should we believe you? We'll believe you if you do what Moses did. Moses made the manna. Why don't you make us some more bread? <laughs> is that crazy? No, you guys don't. Okay. And then, and then this is what Jesus, he closes off and he says, and so... So he says, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so he's saying, I'm the bread. Jesus is, God gave you more through me than I gave you with that great Komodo bread. And he, and they, and then they, so, so then they're like, I, we agree. In verse 34, they said to him, Lord. Give us this bread always. They go back to the bread. <laughs> like they keep wanting the bread. Must have been really good bread. And then Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. And then it said from that time in verse 66, many of his disciples 
went back and walked with him no more. They didn't want him. They wanted the miracle. They just wanted the bread. And Jesus was saying, you know, when you think about all the miracles that Jesus ever did, every single miracle fades. God could heal you, but you're going to die. God could provide for you, but you can't take it with you. God could heal that relationship, but at some point, it's not going to last. We're going to pass away. So what he could give you awesome bread, multiply it, but you're going to get hungry again. He could give you water, and you're going to get thirsty again. But the one thing that will never, never, never pass away is him. And every miracle he does, he does for the purpose of directing our attention and our focus to him. Last week, we talked about he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. This week, it's the priority. The priority in our lives cannot be that he makes a way out for us or heals us or prepares this whatever, bread, water, healing, provision. Jesus is the miracle. He provides the miracle so that we would believe in the miracle and desire him more than everything else in our lives. And I believe that we're entering a season in our culture and in our nation and in this world where there will be a shaking. And there will be a shaking across political lines, across national lines, across economical lines, and our hope as people of God. I, my desire is that myself and those that are in this church would shift our focus and our desire from just wanting the bread to having the bread of life to desiring Jesus as a person. Amen? Can we have the worship team come up? Father, we just thank you, Lord, for... Or you know what? That's okay. We don't need the worship team. There's kind of overtime. God, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we thank you that you are above all and that you do perform miracles. And God, I pray specifically for those in this congregation and those that are watching online, those that are going through, that, that feel like the disciples that are in the middle of that sea where there's wind and waves surrounding, where there's confusion, no direction, where the position is an undesirable position. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would turn our eyes, shift our focus from the waves and the wind to you. God, the solution in our lives is not in this world. It's not in the physical, but it's in you. God, we invite you into our boat. We invite you into our situation. God, I pray for those that are crying out to you for answers. Lord, those that are at a place of desperation in their lives. God, that, that you wouldn't just provide the answer to the situation, but God, that you would come and that you would meet them in the fullness of your presence where they are. God, and that you would be the answer. God, that you would shift our focus from the wind and the waves to our Savior. And God, I pray that as we, we, go, we get 
closer and closer to your return and things begin to shake in, in this world, Lord, that you would use us as your vessels to give that hope and that peace and that message of salvation to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Desire the bread of life more than Komodos. Amen.